God speaks his word uh, this morning from the 50th chapter of Genesis, verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Do you remember having any heroes as a kid? Uh, I mean, beside Luke Skywalker, of course. What, what heroes did you guys have as a kid? I'm just curious. Shout them out. Batman. Wait, what? Superman? Okay. Dick Buckus, that's right, that's right. Who else? Wonder Woman, there you go. Spider-Man, hey, where you get, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, being a Texas kid, uh, I had a few guys as heroes that stood out uh, above the rest. Uh, and they were from the year 1836. And if you know your Texas history, which I hope you do, you already know who I'm talking about. I think, there they are. There's my guys. These guys were heroes to me as a kid. That top left one, does anybody know who that is? Top left? It's Jim Bowie. That's Jim Bowie. Uh, anybody know who the middle guy is? Travis. Yeah, this is, that's Colonel William Travis. And then hopefully everybody knows who the top right guy is. Who's that? Davy Crockett. That's right. He, he, he doesn't have his coonskin cap on there, but uh, that must have been a younger picture of his life because he, he was a little more rugged looking as he got older. But uh, these are, these are the, the heroes of the Alamo. And um, I spent a lot of time as a kid pretending to be these three guys and, and then some of, some of the others uh, from the Alamo. Which, which by the way, I, I don't know if I've, I've mentioned this before, but, but maybe this is unique to... Uh, to Texas, but every, the state law is that every student in Texas has two years of Texas history. And so in fourth grade, your history is, is Texas history. And then seventh grade, you get to do it uh, again, which I don't have many claims to fame in my life, but believe it or not, you guys are looking at the seventh 
grade Bonham Middle School Texas History Award winner. So, <laughs> it, uh, right, right? There, there was a time in my life when I could out history anybody around in, in terms of Texas history. So, um, anyway, enough about me. What about today? What about today? Do you still have any heroes in your life? Um, you know, for, for me, some of you guys got to meet my grandmother a few months ago. She has been kind of a lifelong hero, and, and, and I just ad, kind of admire her life and, and who she still is. Um, but but I, I want to introduce you to somebody else this morning, um, someone who is uh, kind of one of the, one of, I guess you'd say one of my heroes, uh, very, very top of that list, and... Um, Kind of what I would say, one of the most incredible people alive uh, today. Um, so here's a picture of them from a long time ago. Does anybody recognize who that is? Some of you, yeah, some of you guys I, I heard already recognize who that is. Um, here's another picture of her, a more recent picture of her. Uh, you may remember there was a book and they, she acted in her own movie. Uh, that is Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, if you know who she is, she's probably a, heroes of your, a hero of yours as well. Um, I'm going to talk a, a little bit more about her later. Um, but, but this morning we're talking about, we're going to talk about two of my heroes, I guess you could say. Um, Paul and Johnny Erickson Tata. And, and so for me, it kind of made me think about the question, well, what do we look for uh, in in heroes, what what inspires you, uh, and and you know, f- so for me, like William Travis, for instance, was was one of those guys who he led a, a group of of volunteers to sacrifice everything for for a great cause, for a cause they believed in, you know, freedom and independence and all of that stuff. But and so as I get older, I still admire all that that they did at the Alamo, but. I'm even more inspired and want to emulate something more than that uh, in, my, in my life here on this earth. And so, so that's kind of the question we're going we're gonna to be looking at. What does that look like? And so let's pray as we start our time together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it contains and, and the, the truth that we can entrust our very lives to. And, and that the truths of Genesis 50 and the truths of Philippians 1 are still, still true today. So God, would you inspire us? Would you change us? Would you help us to hear what you have to say this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 1. There in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 12 through 18. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment 
is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in, in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So if you were here last week, uh, you maybe remember we started a new series we, we spent 12 previous weeks in the Minor Prophets, um, and so now we are headed into uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I, and I told you that we are focusing on joy in this chapter because it's, it's so unique and it's, it's so helpful for us to understand. Because Paul is in a joyful mood. He, he, he says it so many times, more than any other book, he talks about being joyful. And so... Um, so I, I will remind all of us that, that the book of Philippians is written while he is in prison. While he is awaiting final judgment uh, from Caesar and he is in Rome. And so it is odd that this book above all talks about how joyful Paul is given, given his terrible circumstances. And last week we, we learned that Paul was experiencing joy because of community. He, he says that he's been praying for his friends and, and they've been praying for him, which he is encouraged by. And, and he's then going to go on and say, I, I have joy because you are my partners in ministry. We are working together for a greater good. We're working together for a purpose. And, and then he says he has joy because he knows that they are all growing in love, they are growing in Christ. And he says that God, God began a good work, and, and, and he is still working, and he is going to be faithful to complete it. God is still at work, so we can have joy. And, and so I, I suggested to all of us last week that, um, that there is a type of joy and Christian growth that can only happen in Christian community. Being a growing Christian and choosing to be solitary in your faith are, are contradictions, according to Scripture. They don't go together to just isolate yourselves from others and, and, and have a, a vital, growing faith. It, that's, that's, those things don't go together. Instead, those things happen when we are in a growing Christian community. And, and so this, this morning, Paul's going to continue talking about joy, and he's going to talk about a little bit different aspect of life that's, that's bringing him joy. And, and so I've been kind of tr- struggling to try to summarize it with one phrase of what is it that's bringing him joy here? The best I can come up with is simply the unstoppable gospel. He, he has joy because of the unstoppable gospel. Or if you would rather, he has joy because of the message of Christ being proclaimed. And so let's dig into this passage uh, this morning as we kind of examine that a little bit more. Why, why he has this joy in this unstoppable gospel. So, so read verses 12 and 13 again with me. He says this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So here is Paul, just kind of a reminder of his story. He has, he has traveled under guard. He, he was arrested in Jerusalem uh, by Jews, and they handed him over to the Romans. And, and so he says, look, if you're going to arrest me, I'm, I'm, I'm headed to Rome. I, I want a real trial. But he's been persecuted. He's been beat up. He has gone through so much. And, and we know that he, where he is now is, is, is in what we would call house arrest. He's under house arrest. And, and that means in this time that he would have been allowed to, to kind of live. Maybe he had an apartment or something. But he is literally chained to a guard all the time, nonstop. He's, he's chained up with, with, with a, 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 an imperial guard. And, and, and so what we know about that is that they would change out this duty every four to six hours. There was always somebody new being enchained with Paul. <laughs> so, so here's Paul chained to an elite, you know, highest of the high imperial guard, imperial, imperial soldier all the time. And you kind of have to laugh when you think about the scenario, right? The, the greatest evangelist in the history of the world is constantly be give, being given a new guy every four to six hours. And you can just imagine the guy getting unchained from him and going off, and they're like, well, what was that like? Is he scary? No, he's not scary, but he won't stop talking about this Jesus deal. You're just going to have to endure it, right? You're going to have to sit there all day and listen to this guy tell you about Jesus. They can't get away from him. They are literally a captive audience. And, you know, I can just imagine Paul just over and over. To, but, do you not, but do you get it? Do you, do you see who Jesus is and see what he's done? See why you should have hope? Some are maybe dreading that assignment. Others maybe get to hear some of the hope and start to question, this is something new. I've never heard anything like this before. And they are hearing the gospel which, as we know, means literally the good news. They are hearing the good news for four to six hours at a time. And so Paul is writing to his friends. He says, look, what has happened to me, this being in prison thing, has actually uh, been good for the gospel. It's, 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 it's been an incredible opportunity for the good news of Jesus. Some of the most influential people in Rome, these elite guards, these elite soldiers, are hearing about Christ. And he recognizes that's no small thing. That's a big deal. Life are being, uh, lives are being changed. If you, if you remember some of the story of Paul in the book of Acts, he, he, he starts to, to figure out that, that he needs to go to Rome. He recognizes that Rome is, is, is the capital of the world. It's, it's the most influential place in all the world. And, and he realizes, I've got to get there. I've got to take the gospel there. And he's starting to hear from prophets in the Holy Spirit that th this is going to be your last assignment. This is kind of the, the, you know, your magnum opus or whatever you want to call that, right? This is going to be sort of your last great work, which is to go to Rome and, and you'll have time to share the gospel there. And so he knows that, that God has this for him to be doing, even though it's probably going to mean his life. And so he is, he's got this incredible opportunity. He's talking to people who he would never have had the opportunity to otherwise than, than being kind of in, in the, you know, around Caesar's people 
the elite of the elite, the most influential people in the world, he's getting to tell them about Jesus nonstop. This is for the good of the gospel, he says. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, he says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He is amazed that around, you know, the Christians around him are now being kind of inspired, if you will, by his imprisonment. It was meant to do the opposite, right? It was meant to scare people. Don't talk about Jesus or you, you could lose your life. But instead, his life has become an example, an inspiration for other people. There's a, a new level of boldness. Instead of fleeing and being terrified, which what everybody thought was what was going to happen, they're now willing to join him in sharing the gospel. And so, so Paul probably didn't foresee this, didn't expect it, but, but he's watching this Christian community around him, and, and, and he can kind of reflect on the situation and say, this is for the good of the gospel. More people are sharing Jesus because of my situation. And, and, he, and so he says something crazy. He says, look, I'm, I'm so joyful in jail because it is leading to others being willing to share Christ. So I have joy about that. If, if this is the spark that, that inspires the movement, so be it. And I will have joy over that. Okay, so going through there to the next verse, verse 15, it, it's, it gets a little uh, more interesting. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? He says this, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So we don't know exactly what's going on here, and, 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 and scholars aren't 100% sure. It, it, it's, it's a strange thing that Paul is, is bringing up here. And, but this is what we do know. Paul has spoken out against people who are false teachers. You, you name the book, that you, know, you name the letter of Paul, and he is really upset with people who are teaching a false gospel. He's not doing that here. So, so what most think is that um, the message is good. He says that they're, they're preaching Christ, they're preaching the right gospel. They're, they're just doing it with a bad heart. It, it seems kind of to be the, the thing that he's saying here. So... Um, if that's the case, I, I, I can say that I understand Paul's situation. Because I've, I've been in ministry now for over 20 years. Um, and, and I've been around some guys and, and some people who, who are really good at ministry, but, but who are some crummy individuals. I, I've been around some guys that are just plain jerks. But guess what? They're, they figured out how to preach well. They figured out how to lead. And, and I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. They're, they're good at what they do, but maybe their hearts are, are longing for fame and recognition and power and influence. That, that can happen 
getting to stand up here can turn you into a bad person. Everybody's giving me attention. I like that. You can do this for the wrong motives. And, and, and so I have, to, I have to admit to you that Paul has a better perspective than I have had in those situations. I, I admit that oftentimes I have had not joy but anger as I've watched people be successful in ministry and, and even, even leading people to Jesus. But I, I know that they're doing it in, in the wrong ways and in the, for the wrong reasons. I've, I've had anger in my heart over that. Paul somehow is able to see past those kind of earthly dynamics and just say, look, if people are learning about the gospel, then I have joy. If people are trying to make a name for themselves or, or, or trying to make me look foolish because here I am in prison and we don't know the dynamics again of that, but he's going to say, look, even if they're trying to harm me, I don't care. I have joy because people are talking about Jesus. You see, Paul's heart has been so refined and so filled with the Holy Spirit that he has fi- he's filled with joy. Not his own joy, right? Joy can't come from us. We can't produce joy. Joy comes from God. It's a fruit of the Spirit, right? He's been so filled that way and has so much joy because of the gospel that nothing else matters. Nothing else. And so we can hear his heart and, and, and indeed, the, the theme of this passage, probably his whole life, when he says in verse 18, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, meaning that I have joy. And he's sincere about that. He means it. So I want you to understand that Paul is writing as a sufferer to other sufferers. He, he knows these people but he has joy for them because he says, I know that God is working on them and, and that they are growing. Even though you're suffering, God is not done with you and you're growing. Paul says, God is at work in your situation and he's at work in my situation. How could Paul have that kind of perspective? And so I, th- I think to, to figure that out, I think we, it's good for us to go back to our Old Testament reading from, from a few minutes ago, from Genesis chapter 50. So just a quick recap of that story. Uh, Joseph, the, you know, this favored son, he's hated by his other brothers. And they decide, let's get rid of this guy. Should we kill him? Ah, no, maybe we should just sell him instead. Sell him into slavery, that'll be better. He's sold into slavery, he's taken to Egypt, and you know the ups and downs of that. He's mistreated, he has false accusations, he gets sent to prison for something he didn't do. But God doesn't stop working. And then something amazing happens. And he he becomes this man of wisdom and influence, and and the Pharaoh even says, look, this guy, this guy's got something. And 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 he's going to even become... uh, the, the prime minister of the whole nation. Joseph re, starts to recognize that his life is one on a mission. God is doing something different with him. And he recognizes, hey, God has orchestrated all of this for the good of other people. And so, as we read, he famously tells his brothers, you meant evil against me. 
You meant all of this for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about uh, that many people should be um, kept alive. For the life of other people, God did something amazing. And so somehow Joseph is no longer angry at his brothers. He's no longer angry because he knows that God is in the story. And he knows that not only that, but, but take it a step further, that God is directing the story. We read, uh, we, uh, as a prompt to pray, we read from Psalm 105. And, and in that, there is a, a, a part of it that talks about the story of Joseph. And it says this. It says, when God summoned a famine on the land, hear that word again, when God summoned a famine on the land and destroyed all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron until what he said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. God is in every part directing the story, including the famine. So God's control of all things and the working out of his plan in the world is called providence. Providence. And and I'm not smart enough, nor is any human, by the way. None of us are smart enough to understand how God works out his providence. It's a mystery, and it's meant to be a mystery. That he is in control of everything, but that humans are responsible for their actions. It's a mystery, but they are. Because see, it says simultaneously the brothers meant evil, and God meant that same thing for good. They meant evil, God meant good. They're working together somehow in, in what we call providence. And his providence is in everything. And, and he has a way of using the very worst in our lives and making it for the good of us and for the good of others. And I could give you numerous I- examples from Scripture, but, but we w- would run out of time. Over and over, the best results come out of the worst situations. One of the ones that's most helpful for me that I think of a lot is the story of Stephen in the book of Acts. It's this godly man. He was so godly, in fact, that he became a leader, became a deacon. But he gets arrested because he's sharing the story of the gospel. He's sharing about Jesus. And, and so they put him on trial, and he takes the trial as an opportunity to explain the gospel one more time he, in front of all these religious leaders. He says, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Here's how God has been working everything out toward Jesus. And as he shares this gospel, what happens? They get so enraged, the trial's over, and they just kill him. He is stoned by angry men in the midst of a trial. A terrible, awful death that he experienced. And it's a terrible thing. But what happens? The Christians are scattered. They are forced to flee Jerusalem because a great persecution breaks out. And and the book of Acts makes it very clear that the death of Stephen is, is this 
pivotal turning point. It's the start of a new chapter in, in Christian history. It's the place where the gospel starts to get spread all over the world. The death of Stephen. Now, I have not had the chance to talk to Stephen, so I hate to speak for him, but I think if he were here, if we asked him about it and say, hey, would you trade your life for one of the most pivotal points in Christian history where the gospel starts to spread and millions of people will come to know Christ because of the prompting of your death? Would you take that deal? I think Stephen would say, absolutely, I'll take that deal. I would gladly lay down my life for the gospel. Look at how Jesus has become known because of what happened in my life. And so I, I want to share another recent example. And, and so there's a short video that I want you to watch uh, here. And, and so I think, I think we've got it ready to go. Um, this is about one of the, the, one of the hero that I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago. There aren't many people who can say why God allowed a terrible hardship in their lives. But as I celebrate 55 years today in my wheelchair, I know why. And the answer is in Genesis 50, where Joseph says to his wicked brothers, you intended my hardships for evil, but God meant it for good. Now here comes the best part. For the quote, saving of many lives. All these decades in my wheelchair, God has intended it all to be a platform for the saving of many lives, especially through Johnny and friends, as we give Christ to disabled people all around the world. So, why has God allowed your hardships? I strongly suspect he wants your unsaved loved ones to look at your patience and think, I want her God. I mean, I, I want the God he serves. And right there is your reason. And I celebrate that with you on this my diving accident anniversary, 55 years. <laughs> so <clears throat> if, you, if you don't know Johnny's story, she was 17 years old. She was an, had just started college. She was an active kid, an athlete, and, and she was out with her friends boating on a lake. And uh, she dove off the boat. And there was a hidden rock that she didn't know about where she jumped. And she dove, dove in head first, hit the rock, and it broke her neck. She was immediately paralyzed, and there was, there was nothing else that they could do uh, for her for the, the rest of her life. Um, and, and she, uh, you know, spent, if you know her story, she spent the first few years just being so, so angry with God. Um, and, and just coming to grips with all it was going to mean that forever somebody was going to have to feed her, forever, forever somebody was going to have to change her, and, and, and all that that entails for the rest of her life. That's what, that was what was to come. But she said somehow, somehow the joy of Christ broke through all of that. But so, you know, she, she's had the hardest life. She, she wasn't able, ever able to have children and, and, and just experienced Everything that she does is harder than it is for you and I. Everything that she does. And she travels all over the world. Uh, she's written over 40 books. Um, and, but everything is hard. And, and, and not too many years ago, she got breast cancer. And, and people who knew her were like, come on, God, are you kidding me? You're going to give Johnny breast cancer? And she, she survived it. And then we all went, whew, way to go, God. And then she got breast cancer again. Second time. 
Almost died twice. Survived it. Unbelievable, terribly hard story. And then two years ago, she got severe, severe COVID. And, and people were praying around the world because we thought, this is, this is it. This is going to be the end of Johnny's life. She, her body's just not strong enough to survive COVID. And somehow she did. But she's, she's had ongoing lung issues. She doesn't breathe very well. And that will probably be the thing that, that it will eventually take her life or, or her lung issues, which has caused a constant pain for her on top of all the other physical ailments of pain that she has. And yet, yet, if, if somebody asked me, who's the most joyful person in the world that you're familiar with? She's, she's my answer. It's not close. No offense to any of you in here. It's not close. She would also be my answer to somebody said, hey, well, who's the most Christ-like person that you're familiar with? It would be her. And, and my answer to the third question, which is, who's the person that you think shares the gospel the most in their lives every day? She, again, is that answer. That's why she's my hero. How, how does somebody who's gone through so much have any kind of joy like that? And I would say because she has figured out what Joseph and Stephen and Paul figured out. That the hard circumstances of life might be what God has in store for us for the sake of the gospel. God can use your terrible upbringing, the the, the parent situation that you had, the physical disabilities that, that you have. He can use the illnesses and the diseases that you struggle with. He can use your limitations, the tragedies in your life. He can use all of that, persecutions against you. He can use it all to help share the message of Jesus. And this is not an easy thing to say, is it? Because uh, I, I, as I thought about you know, Paul's imprisonment, even his imprisonment is a benefit to you and I. You know, Paul was a doer. He was a goer. He traveled the world. He was always up to something because he had this deep passion but yet, a lot of his life was spent, arrested, spent in jail. And, and, and you think, why in the world? Why wouldn't God just have let Paul keep planting churches? And It's because this is when he wrote his letters. This was when he was in jail. So, many have suggested, you know, we should be so thankful for Paul's imprisonment. Because without it, we might not have letters like Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and, and Philemon. We wouldn't have these amazing books. And so again, you know, if you said to Paul, hey, would you trade getting beat up and thrown in jail a bunch of times and spending a lot, several years of your life in prison for millions and millions of people getting to hear about Jesus through the written word of Scripture? I know he would say yes. He's saying yes right here. Absolutely. I'll have joy in that. Now, let me be real clear I'm not saying, and Scripture is not saying, that bad things are good. The tragedies that you've gone through, those are bad things. The bad stuff in your life, those awful things, they're awful. 
If you go through a tragedy, it's bad. That's the result of sin in this world and and just living in a broken, fallen place. Unfortunately, we'll all deal with them. But God says he can work it out for good. He doesn't say all things are good because not all things are good. But he says I can work all things for a good situation. I can work all things for good. He can take that bad thing and use it to help someone know the good news of Jesus. You and I can share what we have learned through the results of our hard circumstances and situations and the things that you have had to endure. You can use it to help others hear about the hope of Christ somehow. And and I would just say this. Ultimately, I don't know that we'll know all uh, about the purpose of our suffering. Uh, Stephen died not knowing what, what benefit it was. He just was killed. You and I might not know how people are going to be led to Jesus through the things that we experience. We just won't know. But we can have hope. Because God is in the business of turning suffering into blessing. And so my encouragement to you is, is to, begin, to begin praying in the midst of whatever it is that you have already suffered or are suffering now. Can you say, God, can you use this situation to further your kingdom? I don't see how. I don't get it. It doesn't look like it. But I'm willing to have hope because if you can have, you know, take the stories of Joseph and Stephen and Paul and and all the rest, and if you can turn those into ways that your kingdom is furthered, okay, God, can can you do that in my life? Will you help the gospel be known through my life in the goods and the bads? And then that's when it becomes joy. That's where we see the joy that Paul has here. Paul has joy, not because he's glad that he's in prison. He's not joyful about the the death that he knows is is just around the corner. He's joyful that God is going to use it all to further the gospel. To help the world know about the most important thing that's ever happened. And the only thing, the only thing that really matters, which is being reconciled to God through Jesus. That's really the only thing that matters. So you and I can have ultimate joy even in the worst times because we know that God can use every part of our, our lives to help others know Jesus. Let's pray. God, even as I preach these words, I, I have to admit I wouldn't choose the life of Johnny. I wouldn't choose the life of Stephen. In my, in my humanness, in my flesh, I, I'd rather have comfort. I'd rather have an easy life that tells people about Jesus. God, would you help me to be willing that my life would be used however you see fit for your kingdom to share your gospel. And if that's through illness or disability or hardship or persecution, whatever it might be, God, I don't want it. Help me to be willing. God, would you use the pain in my life and in all of our lives as a way to help share the gospel and somehow use it for your kingdom? God, all of this is a mystery. Help us to lay it at your feet 
in, in our ignorance and our confusion, but to trust that your providence is working all things out for the good of those who love you. To make your kingdom come in this world. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.